This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Yes, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Abby Sidery, um, and I've been part of God First Church for about two and a half years, and I just want to add my welcome to everyone, and especially if you're new here today, if you are visiting or you've been on holiday recent in the last couple of weeks, you might not know that we're going through a series about the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer which Jesus taught to his disciples in the Bible. So this morning we're going to be looking at, I think it's the third part of the prayer that we're going through, which is give us today our daily bread. I'm going to start off with thinking about what the disciples might have had in mind when they were asking this question, what they might have been looking for. Um, I'm going to look at what Jesus might have meant when he said to pray, give us today our daily bread. Why every day? Why? What's the daily bread? I'm going to suggest that He's talking something about God providing our physical needs, our literal daily food, and that there's something in there as well about the bread of life, which goes beyond our physical body uh, to eternity with God. I'm going to consider just for a minute what it means to pray this prayer, bearing in mind that literally this morning, people, Christians, our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, um, Many of them don't have enough food to eat. What does that mean for us to to be praying to God to meet our needs, bearing that in mind? And finally, uh, if I haven't rambled on too much, I'm going to run through five top tips for getting into the habit of praying this prayer. Firstly, a little bit of context. So Jesus, as we know from the last few weeks, taught this prayer to his disciples. Um... These were guys he'd invited to follow him, regular Joes, like you and me. Um, They'd accepted his invitation. They were following him, following what he had to say. Jesus was teaching them that God in heaven was his father, which was a very offensive thing to be saying around religious people at that time. These guys were Jews. Um, It was something which divided the people around him at the time. He was going around teaching people this. There were signs and wonders and things that he was publicly doing, publicly saying. And these disciples were following him closely along this journey. They had like a front row seat. They were getting to know him. They got to ask him questions behind the scenes. Um, And obviously today we get to kind of listen in on one of the questions that they were saying. They asked him about prayer. So they'd seen him praying that day. And when he finished, one of the disciples asked him, please teach us how to pray. Being Jews, they would have known what prayer was. So seeing Jesus pray wouldn't have been kind of a totally new thing to them. Asking him to teach them how to pray, they would have known from reading the scriptures. They would have um, read all kinds of stories where people prayed 
um, prayers, different kinds of prayers. Miriam's prayer of thanks to God after the Israelites had been brought through the Red Sea. Prayers of um, repentance, like David's in the Psalms. So they had those scriptures. Um, they would have seen him... Um, the prayers that he wrote full of sorrow when he hadn't followed God and then had realized how how right and good God's ways were and the prayers that came out of him at that time. Prayers for help, prayers of healing, these prayers that flowed out of God's people in their history. So prayer in and of itself wasn't something totally new to them. But why then did they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray? It's interesting we have this question, we don't have this question um, of Jesus teach us how to preach. Jesus teach us how to really engage with people when we're, when we're standing before them. Teach us how to pull a crowd. Um, you know, why was it that they asked him specifically about praying? Maybe they did ask him those questions, but why is it that this has been, um, was decided that this was something that we needed to, a conversation that we needed to, to be able to see? Maybe it was that, They'd been praying in their life, but when they looked at Jesus' life, they were like, hmm, his prayers are getting answered. Maybe they were thinking, okay, we're seeing his prayers, we're seeing the fact that he's praying by himself every day, we're seeing the fact that he's praying with people, and maybe that, maybe that's actually like part of the secret of his ministry. Maybe this is, there's something, um, in his prayer life which we need to, to find out about. So I'm just suggesting that maybe these were some of the things in their mind at the time. So Jesus gave them an answer, and he gave them like a great answer, actually. Lots of different parts. He um, gave them a practical suggestion of how to pray, which is what we're looking at over this series. And then he talked to them a little bit more about attitudes and uh, about prayer and who you should be praying for and all these kind of things. But we're just looking at this, um, the first part of his answer, which was literally a direction on what to pray. So he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Stan talked about Father, hallowed be your name. And Steve talked about your kingdom come, your will be done. If you're particularly interested in either of those two, go and listen to the podcast on the God First website. Um, what does it mean to pray to Father God to give us our daily bread? What did Jesus mean by that? I would suggest possibly two things which fit together. Firstly, I think that it could be as practical as it sounds. So... Provide us with food today, God, please. With work today. Um, we know from other stories in the Bible and from history, from historians, that um, lots of people did do daily work. So they would wait for someone who owned some fields to come along and say, hey, can, can you give me help on my field today? So maybe if they didn't have that, they couldn't feed their family. Uh, like many people around the world today, other Christians as well as other people, this is a real issue. Clearly God cares very much about people having food. In the feeding of the 5,000 story and the feeding of the 4,000 story, we see that Jesus didn't want people to be sat there listening to him without anything to eat. He saw their material needs and he met them. And I was thinking even this good land that God brought the Israelites into, this good land, you know, he was thinking, what, what 
um, good things can I give them there? He was saying, there's going to be milk, there's going to be honey, you can have your herds there. He wanted them to enjoy uh, being well and having the food that they need. So that's important to him. He gave us these bodies. He cares about us being able to have the food to keep alive. On another occasion, Jesus said, we don't need to worry about this, though. Don't worry. What? Don't say, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So he knows that we need those things, and we'll come back to that a bit later. I think I've often neglected that part of this prayer. Give me literally the food that I need, what I need to survive. When we have enough, it's easy for us to forget this part of the prayer. Okay, so obviously there are people, this prayer is for all believers. There are people in all different situations um, who are coming to pray this prayer. But I think it's very easy, and the Bible seems to suggest it's very easy when we have plenty um, to forget this we can go to the supermarket mostly these days any time of night or day. It's relatively easy to get work if we need it. Um, and when I think about, okay, how from last year, this time last year, this summer last year, to now, how did I survive? I'm definitely tending to think, okay, well, it's because I, well, I can't say it's because I worked hard. Because I, my husband works hard. Uh, um, it's because I really looked after myself well. I made good food choices. I went for a jog, which Rich would call a quick walk, um, <laughs> every now and then. Um, you know, self-sufficient. Are we self-sufficient? That, that's what I would tend to, that is what I would first come into my mind if I'm honest. Okay. Is it because we dodged a bullet of, a, of an illness that year? Is it because we managed to save something? This is how we managed to get through. Looking a bit beyond the surface, where does that food come from? I can go to the supermarket and buy some food, yeah. But where does that food come from? Who created those plants? Who created these trees which are taking out of the air carbon dioxide, which is poisonous for us, and putting out oxygen, which we need? Who's doing that? I've got nothing to do with that. I've got no control over that. That's keeping me alive. Who's keeping the world spinning? That's keeping me alive. Okay, so, um, yeah, we have, we, we steward what we have. We, we make decisions to keep ourselves and our families going in a sense, but none of that could happen without God. He is the real source of those things. Do we believe those things come from God? If we do, are we thankful for that? It's so easy for me to forget that. Okay, do we rely on God for those things to keep happening? I guess partly because they do happen, we stop relying on it. Okay, in Colossians we read, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he created and he is sustaining us. I just wanted to add here that it's not wrong to work. I'm pretty sure you probably didn't assume that. But, you know, I'm um, saying we need to be relying on God. That doesn't mean that 
I'm saying it's wrong to work or it's wrong to save or it's wrong to look after yourselves. And the Bible talks about those things and it commends a lot of those things. But um, it makes it clear as well that when we store things up and we have enough to last us for a while, we can lose sight of him. We can stop looking for him. We can stop coming to him. And we can begin to make up our own rules for life. Okay, before the Israelites reached that good land, which God was leading them to, they had all those years in the desert. When they started complaining along the way, hey, we've got nothing to eat in this desert. And back in, back in Egypt, we were slaves, yes, but we had food at least. Um, so God responded to them by giving them something on, which appeared on the floor each day with the dawn of the day, which they could pick up and eat. But he only made enough for them to have that day. In the sense that if they stored up more, it was gone off by the next day. Okay, why did God do that? They had to learn that they could rely on him each day, that he was their provider. In Deuteronomy 8, we read what God told them when they were about to go into the promised land. And he refers back to that. He says, he humbled you and he let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which was that specially appearing food, which you did not know. Or your fathers know, so you didn't know what it was, but he gave that to you, so you would know that man does not live by bread alone. You couldn't sustain yourself then. But man lives by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If God's called you to something, so he called them to that journey, he called them to that place, he knew that's where they they needed to be. He's going to give you everything you need for that. But it might not be the bread you expected. You might not be able to get yourself there. And if it came just one day at a time, what you needed, would you still keep following that path? I think that's a challenge for me, massively. Later in that same passage, he tells the people that once they've built themselves houses there, once they've started to get themselves livestock and get themselves settled, build up money and possessions, that they shouldn't forget what God did to take them there. He tells them, beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. This is just what we were saying before. We can see our lives and think, okay, you know, the things that I have in my house, I got those things for myself. The things that brought me from last year to this year was from my own hand. But he says, don't forget, don't say my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, you shall surely perish. Actually, at the same time as these Israelites were following God there, people in the lands all around them, as it is today, were making up their own gods. They were creating their own gods. They were saying, okay, um, we're going to rely on this God. We're going to pray to this God who was of their own creation, created by their own hand, a God who could not hear them, could not respond. This was really set the Israelites apart from other people. It really made them distinct from other people. You hear that story in the Bible of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They were saying, you know, our God's Israel. He was saying, no, my God is the only real God. And if you read that story, you'll see that it was Elijah's God that responded. They could not get a response out of their God. So they knew that, but they had this tendency still, same as we do, same as I do, to 
to get self-reliant and forget that everything we have comes from God. Okay. So asking, number one, asking God to give us our daily bread can be a way to recognize and learn to rely on God that gives us those physical things that we need. The things that we have comes from him. The breath that we have, the fact that we're staying alive, that the world keeps going is from God. But I also think there's a second meaning to what Jesus was saying in telling us to pray this. Partly based on, partly based on the fact that even though, well, thinking if I had all the food that I needed, family, all of those things which I really do need to survive, I would be desperate still for God. Do you know, if you have everything that you need physically, if you have everything you need practically, don't you feel, for those of us that have met God, that have a relationship with him, don't you feel that that is not enough? You have to have God. So partly because of that, partly because Jesus also had talked a few times about bread, food, in a way which kind of suggested he wasn't just talking about physical food. Um, when the he was tempted in the desert after he'd been fasting for 40 days and the enemy asked him, you know, you're the son of God. You can actually turn these stones into bread. You know, you can survive with your own sufficiency. Why don't you just do that? You're really hungry. And he said, no, he was fasting. This is one of the things we can do to help ourselves learn that everything that we, um, all our sustenance doesn't come from ourselves. He's saying, no, the, you know, one of the things I'm doing in this time is saying I'm not going to um, rely on my own self to keep me free this time, but um, it's everything that God gives me is what I'm going to have to survive. Later, after this conversation about the Lord's Prayer, he's going to meet this lady at the well and have a conversation with her, and the disciples are going to go into town to get lunch, because they've been walking all day. And they ask him, do you have anything for lunch? He said, I don't need any lunch. And it's quite funny, isn't it, in the Bible there, it says they're thinking, did he have some packed lunch that we didn't know about? It's quite funny how, they, how it says it. But um, he says, no, basically, actually, I have some other food that you don't know about. This is my food, is to do my father's will. This was something different, which he still needed. It was like a huge part of what he needed. He called it like his food, but it wasn't his physical food. And later, he's going to teach them what he means by this. He's going to teach them about what he calls the bread of God, the bread of life, which is himself. After the feeding of the 5,000, he gives um, this teaching to the people that were following him about um, him being the bread of life. And I've just, I hate taking bits out of one of Jesus' speeches, but I've just, <laughs> I've just, um, for the sake of time, pulled out some of the things that he says, which might help us understand this. So he says, do not work. He tells them, don't work for the food that perishes. He's not saying you don't need food, but he's saying don't set that as your goal. Don't be what you're working for is to get things for yourself, to get what you to get the physical things, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. He's able to do that for you. He's able to give you eternal life. Then they said to him, So you're saying we shouldn't be working for food. What you, we should be doing something for God. What must we be doing to be doing the works of God to get that food? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. 
So they said to him, then, you know, if we're going to believe in you, if you're saying this is the food that we need to believe in the one he sent, okay, how are we going to believe you? What work are you going to do for us? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So God showed them a sign then that this is the bread that I'm giving you. What sign are you going to show us that? Uh, you're the bread that he's giving us. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die in your physical bodies. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So he's just taking it beyond our physical bodies. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. As the living Father sent me, he goes on to say, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forevermore. So he's using the bread metaphor. It looks like he was saying, yes, God gave that food to the Israelites in the desert that sustained them for their physical bodies. But in the end, because they were physical bodies like ours, they died. Everything that we can, even everything that God gives us for our physical sustenance won't keep us alive forever in these bodies. But life is about more than living here on earth now in these bodies. Jesus seemed to be saying that if we believe in him and accept him and engage in what he's done through his sacrifice on the cross for us, our spirits will be fed, will be given life by the spirit, which is eternal. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. We remember that. We will remember that later when we take communion. So every day we need God for physical sustenance to keep us alive in this world. And every day we realize it's God who gives us life eternally through Jesus. Why did Jesus ask us to pray this prayer every day? We, we looked at that a bit before, the story of the Israelites, about learning to rely on God each day. But if we have plenty, if we have enough, do we need to rely on him? Do we still need to pray this? We still need to ask him for our daily bread? There seems to be no suggestion. I can't see anything in the Bible that suggests we only pick this prayer up when we're in a time of need. Paul writes his reflection on this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So he's really experienced extreme need. Okay? He's experienced being shipwrecked. They didn't have any food. They had to not eat food on the ship for a while, for example. He's experienced like having very, very little. And he's experienced in other times having absolutely plenty. So he's thinking back and saying, okay, did I need God in both of those times? What was the secret of being content in both of those times? 
I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So he's saying Jesus kept him going when he was in want and hungry. And he's saying Jesus kept him going when he was well-fed and had plenty. It's likely that we'll pray this prayer when we're in need. I don't think we need reminding to ask this prayer, to come to God and ask him for our needs when we're in need. But I would suggest it's so important to pray this prayer in the comfortable times, partly because it keeps us humble and keeps us seeing who God is, the fact that everything ultimately comes from his hand and he wants to be our God, he is our provider. But partly because it lays down the foundations of a healthy perspective of where what we need comes from, which we will need when we're in times of need. We teach ourselves to do this when it feels like we have what we need and when it feels like we don't. In your life, okay, I give credit to Rich for this question. It's a tough question, which he raised. If we're just going to God when we need something, is this a sign of us being or becoming lukewarm in our relationship with God? Is that where it's going to take us? So in all different seasons, we will benefit from remembering through bringing this prayer to God. In good, when we have plenty and when we have nothing, it's good for us to know God never leaves us. When we have plenty, we still need to know that, don't we? That God never leaves us. Whether we have lacking, whether we have lack or whether we have plenty physically or spiritual, we still need to know He's sustaining us, not just in this life, but eternally. We still need to know He knows what we need. Maybe in times of plenty, maybe He's, we need to remember He knows what we need better than we do. God welcomes us to come to Him at any time to ask and rely on Him for what we need. I wanted just to add something kind of stepping back out of this part of the Lord's Prayer again and just looking at it as a whole. As I was reading and focusing on this sentence, give us today our daily bread, I realized it's so fundamental to pray the rest of this prayer, to understanding about who we're bringing this prayer to about our daily bread. You know, who, what is, yeah. When you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. You know, who is it that we're praying to? Who is it... If we're praying, Father, give us today our daily bread, isn't it going to change the way we pray that, the way we believe that, if we're spending time focusing on God's name, who he is, desiring that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that wanting his kingdom to come in our life, that's going to influence what we think we need from him. The fact that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like Steve asked us last week, are we praying, our will be done or your will be done? And the second part, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's inseparable from coming to God with our needs. Absolutely inseparable. So the Bible makes it clear we can hinder our prayers by not addressing things that are going on in our lives that aren't right. Things that he's asked us to do which we're not doing, things which he's asked us not to do which we are doing. You know, you, there's stories, examples in the Bible where um, people were turning up to temple on the Sabbath or coming before God and asking him for things, but having sin going on in their lives 
unresolved conflicts with brothers, not caring for the poor. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are so many examples of this. Um, I was just going to say, think in a, a way that might help us to think about it. Rich loves me. We have a covenant relationship, marriage. Okay, We made promises to each other about our relationship. He made promises to me about that marriage. If I decide to ignore him for a while and to disrespect him, to break some of those promises, maybe to give, to give my affection, to give my body to someone else, and then I come to him and ask him to share what he has with me, is that okay? <laughs> it's not okay. Um, if I undermine his authority... If I take for granted that he's still going to be there for me when I'm ignoring things that he's said to me and then come asking for gifts from him, anyone will be able to see that's not okay. That is a terrible relationship. That's not the kind of relationship God's called us to. So we pray the whole prayer. That doesn't mean that we have to pray it from top to bottom every morning, although we can, of course. But we don't pick and choose. We don't pick this bit of the prayer. Like I said, I just want to take a minute to look at what does it mean to pray this prayer. Asking God for our daily bread when many Christians in the world don't have food today. The Our Father prayer is an us prayer. It's not my Father, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my sins, deliver me. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We pray this for ourselves and we pray this for our brothers and sisters. I'm not going to give you any answers, actually, really, with this section. I'm just going to give you food for thought. What does give us today our daily bread mean to those people, those Christians who are praying that this morning in places of persecution, war, or famine? Do we pray for them? Do we believe God can answer that prayer when they're praying it? When we come and we believe that he's answering it for us? What does it mean for us to pray for enough money for a holiday or for the rain to hold off while our extension is being built if we are not praying that our brothers will have the basics they need to survive? Should we be using some of our money if we can afford to spend less on our lives for them, putting ourselves in a position where God can use us to potentially answer their prayers for their daily bread? And thinking of those that don't yet have eternal life, with the possessions and gifts that we have, are we investing just in the physical things of this life? Or in the things that are eternal too, like people's salvation? Praying for our daily bread, praying for our needs, it looks different when we ask, ask these questions. Okay, And remembering that if we obey what God says to us about how to use our money and our possessions when we're praying about these things, if we feel prompted, if we... If he's teaching us about what we need and don't need, we can rely on him to sustain us. To answer these kind of questions, I think we need to ask ourselves, do we, how much do we need? Okay, Timothy in the Bible is warned that there are some people in his church who, the, the Bible says their minds were corrupt, they were teaching people wrongly that godliness is a means to financial gain. God loves to give us good gifts. Okay, and God can give us more than we ever ask or imagine. And we know from testimonies, right? We've all of us, hopefully, 
heard testimonies of where God has provided amazingly in people's lives, done miracles in people's lives through house extensions and holidays and all of those things. But people were getting the wrong impression that the more godly we are, the more financially happy, the more settled and sorted we were going to be. So he gets told, godliness with contentment is what's great gain. We bought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's saying some people, because of money, have wandered away from the faith. He's not saying if you have money, you're going to wander away from the faith. And there are many people that have lots of money and are very godly. But he's saying some people, eager for money, because of the love of money, have wandered from the faith, looking for reliance on something else, looking with their goal for something else. But you, man of God, flee from this. And this is a command. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life, that bread of life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that reminds me again of that command to seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all our needs will be added. This is kind of, I guess, the point of this sermon. I believe God cares about all parts of our lives and provides in so many ways. Like I said, we see that through all kinds of testimonies and situations. And the Bible encourages us to pray for other things as well. And the Bible gives us a picture of a God who is abounding in his mercies and he's not a stingy God. I don't mean by this that we should only be expecting to have the minimum. But I think this prayer, asking God for our daily bread, is about daily having physically enough to live and daily having spiritually all that we can eat, all that we can get of his kingdom and righteousness. And we will find that that is enough. Okay, finally... We didn't run out of time. Five tips for getting into the habit of praying this prayer and living in what it's all about. Number one, does I remember what he's already done? Um, obviously, from what we've read from the Bible today, that's something that God advised to his people because he knows we easily forget. I do. Like, um, I'm sad that I haven't written down some of the things that God's done in my life in the past because when I do find journals, when I do pick up journals from, from years gone by and I have recorded things that God's done, uh, it like delights me. I'm so excited in that. I'm sad that I don't always do that. So I just recommend us to keep a prayer diary. Keeping a prayer diary, as in keeping a note, writing down prayers that we've prayed and ways that God has answered those prayers. Not only does it help us to remember, but it helps to learn about God. Because often we'll pray for something, and God 
you know, there's not going to be a tidy answer next to it. Sometimes there is. And that's amazing because that's the God who's sustaining us, who's created this world, answering our prayer. That's amazing. Sometimes his prayer, his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is wait or something different. And by looking back at what we asked him and looking back at what's happened, we can learn something about him, the things that he loves, the ways he likes to work, his creativity. I often pray because of that. God, I pray that you would meet this person today in any way that you would find wonderful in your creative imagination. Because if I ask you to meet them in X way, your ideas are going to be much better. (laughs) I often pray that. Um, Two, share testimonies. Yeah, so Abby shared me a great testimony like three weeks ago here. Yana shared me a great testimony in the loo a couple of weeks ago in church. I love that. Like though, though, Those testimonies were about God saying things to them, then being like, really? God? That sounds big. I can't see how I'm going to do that. And then God giving them confirmation. God giving them, opening the doors for what that what they needed to happen. You know, this is a way for us to really get into this mindset of, oh yeah, it's God that gives us what we need for what he's calling us to. Let's share testimonies more. Three, knowledge by experience. Knowledge by experience, learning something by experiencing it is more powerful, is a more powerful way for us to learn something by someone telling us it, right? So people can tell us things. I can tell you God's going to meet your needs, but if you experience that, that's how you're going to really learn it. How are you going to experience that unless you ask him what you need and then rely on him for that? Give him opportunity to show him he's your provider. Give him, give yourself opportunity to see that again. Try seeking him about this whole topic of what you need. It might be that he shows you something from the Bible. You might feel something when you pray. Or maybe someone will give you a testimony. Write those things down. Try and pursue those things. I have so many testimonies of that and I don't have time to share them all. But um, ask people in your community group maybe. You know, if you're not feeling faith for this, has anyone got a story about when God's provided for them? Four, recognize things that are getting in the way. Maybe you think you don't have any needs. Maybe you're relying on yourself or someone else for your needs. It's just, I, when I say recognize things are getting in the way, I just mean let's, let's sit down and think about this. Maybe if you meet up with other people from church in your threes, um, in your kind of small groups together, if you just meet up with people anyway, for like ladies do, meeting for lunch all the time. I don't know what guys do, playing golf and things. Um, <laughs> When you meet up, you know, maybe talk about this with each other, ask each other, reflect on it, or reflect on it by yourself with God. Maybe you're relying on another God or another religion for your eternal life. Reflect on these things in the light of the Bible. There's some things I've mentioned today, but the Bible talks so many other things about these these things. If you don't know where to start, if you want to kind of be getting into this more, getting into this way of living, maybe ask someone from your G1C to... If you can do Bible study together about it. Okay. Fasting is a good way for us to humble ourselves. Read the story of Daniel when he just ate vegetables, when the king was offering him a feast. And finally, pray each day. Obviously, that's got to be something we take away from this. 
Um, you, you have time. We have time. I, I don't know where our time goes, but we have time to pray. There's that wonderful book by Benny Hinn, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. He talks about when you wake up in the morning, say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Yeah, we all have like 30 seconds when we wake up in the morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. God, I'm here again. Thank you for another day. I do that, honestly. When you, when you do that, you get into the habit of it. And you start realizing, okay, that's quite simple. Pray as soon as you notice or hear about a need in someone's life. Because sometimes you don't get around to it. What happens with our time, I don't know. But we often do that if someone sends us a text or say we need this, or they're with us and they say we need this. Okay, let's pray for it right now. That's the way to do it. That's the way, well, I don't say the, the way to do it, but that is a, that is a way where you can get, you can, you can find the time to pray for people's needs. Uh, we're gonna share communion now. We're gonna think back about what Jesus said about being the bread of life. This is John Piper. He says, coming to Jesus, he's talking about this passage where Jesus says he's the bread of life. Coming to Jesus and trusting him is what it means to eat the true bread of heaven. Jesus, Jesus tells us in that passage that we need to eat of him. He gets very specific. Jesus says, the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So here it becomes clear that eating the true bread means nourishing our souls with benefits of Jesus' atoning death. Jesus hadn't died yet when he actually gave the disciples this prayer, right? Um, but I think, I love Jesus because he kept like giving them a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And when he died, a lot of this more must have been come so clear to them. We do not simply come and trust a loving man. We're not bringing our needs to God just because um, he's loving and he can help us. We're pinning all our hopes on the forgiveness that he purchased for us in laying down his life. In verse 53 of that passage in John where he's talking about being the bread of life. He goes so far as to say we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. This happens when the love that his death shows and the hope that it secures so delights and satisfies our soul hunger that we continue in his word forever. That spiritual feeding on Christ is what the Lord's Supper symbolizes. So that's what we're going to share together now as kind of brings a refreshing meaning again to taking the bread drinking the wine. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.